Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. From your presence and from your spirit, we ask, Lord, that you speak to us even now. Unveil to us, God, your mind, your intent. Unveil to us, God, your will for what you did and accomplished on the cross. That we can appreciate the life you've released to us and thereby bring praise and glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, so we're talking about Easter. And uh, like I said, uh, as far as the word Easter is concerned, it's related to the Jewish feast of Passover. That's what I keep emphasizing. Uh, for the Jewish Passover, it takes about seven to eight days, nights rather. And then for the Easter, it's just about one night. And uh, like I said before, the Passover of the Jewish festival was meant to celebrate when they left Egypt to the promised land or to the wilderness. So it's like coming over from Egypt and moving on to Canaan. That's what they call it, Passover. So they do this to remember what God did for them. They do this to appreciate the sacrifices that God made to bring them out of slavery. You must appreciate what God did. These people were in bondage for 400 years. And you know what that means? To be a slave for that long. And so but now God came in to pick them out. So in remembering what God did, they also begin to reflect what they went through. And that gave them the place of truly appreciating the freedom they now have for being children of God. Hallelujah. And so you find that, let me on the board, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 13. And, and you find that God has done the same thing for us. Say, so who had delivered us? Okay, go to verse 12, and just take it from verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's inheritance. Then verse 13 says, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The same thing, now the power of darkness speaks of that which puts you in bondage, which keeps you in slavery. So the same thing that the children of Israel passed through to come out of that situation, and that is exactly what God has done for you. He picked you out from the realm of bondage, the realm of oppression. He picked you out from in quote, the hands of Pharaoh. Many where you went to war. These are the things you went through, exactly what the children of Israel were going through. So everything that the cross accomplished was to symbolize for you the same transition that God made for the children of Israel to bring them out. So if you know what you were passing through, and that tells us something, the things that you were passing through before, God is not intended that you continue to pass through them or have them. It also be to your backside. <coughs> Excuse me. It also be 
to your backside. It has to be something that you are not supposed to. And we must come to appreciate this. Because when the children of Israel left Egypt, they were no longer under the influence and power of Pharaoh. Amen? That is why you must appreciate what God has done. And in your conviction, in your believing as to what God has done, you begin to experience the freedom that you are supposed to have. And not just that freedom. The Bible tells us so that there are inheritance you are supposed to possess for being in the kingdom of God. What you inherit, help me Jesus, what you inherit is not what you work for. Inheritance comes to children. Inheritance comes to people who belong to one who owns things. So like a father, if he dies, for instance, was an accident happened, the children have to possess what the father had. They inherit from the father. Are you following me? So when we're talking about inheritance in the saint, we must understand it is not what you work for. It is what he worked for and gave to you. You're accepting who he is. Bring those inheritance to your life. And so when you're celebrating Easter, you're actually trying to thank God for the things you already got. And the thing you are supposed to be making use of, it belongs to you because you are now a son. Sons inherit, slaves don't. Amen? No slave inherited property, no matter how long it's going to serve the master. If a slave is even in a house, and uh, maybe he's been in the house and the slave is 50 years old, and the master is maybe 60 years old, and he died, no matter how long the slave has been in that house, he can possess the master's property. If the child is just 10 years old when the father dies, everything that the father has belongs to the son, not to the slave. So when you talk about having inheritance, it simply means God is now your father. Are you still there with me? You are no longer a slave. You are now a son. Exactly what it should be. That when the children of Israel left Egypt, they were no longer slaves. They were now sons of God. As a matter of fact, they were now married to God. They were more of a bride. And God refers to them as his firstborn. Hallelujah. Come on, are you there with me? All right. So, you have to understand what I'm saying. You have to understand where we're coming from and where we are. We are in a place where we are supposed, thank you, Father, to possess what belongs to us because we are sons. By reason of this fact that we have been born again, it shows that we are sons in the Father's house. And the Bible now says we've been translated. We have been moved. We shall not be translated. We have been translated. The translation came through his death on the cross. Amen? Praise the Lord. So I want you to understand this fact. It's done by the simple reason that he shed that blood. That blood which he shed brought us into a new relationship with God. It, it confined on us the spirit of sonship. And because that is where we are and that's where we are right now, everything that the Father has belongs to us. We inherit. We don't struggle to get. How many of you remember the case of the prodigal son? I often use that for simple illustration. That is a son who understands his position or understood his position in relation to his father. He went to the father and said, give me my portion that belongs to me. Amen? In other words, I don't want to wait until you die before I get the one that belongs to me. So if you have written your will, let me have my portion. That is the spirit of his son who understands what belongs to him. That is why when you are praying, 
you have to have conviction that what you're asking for should be given to you. Why? Because we are a son. And all of this is accomplished through the sacrifice. And we're going to go and read a, a scripture. I tried to make you understand yesterday that as important as the birth of Jesus really is, the resurrection is more important than the birth. And the reason is because it is only through the resurrection that you actually became a son. Hallelujah. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We read this yesterday, but I want to read it again today. Reading from verse number... Let's take it from verse 13. 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not raised or risen? Now there's a debate, like I said before, in the church as touching resurrection, even though in the early church, they even, even baptized children who are just infants, so as to partake of the life of God, in quote. All right, so Paul was trying to pull this record straight and to make them understand that actually this resurrection, because there was morally the confusion, is it true that he rose from the grave? Okay, verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching vain and your faith also is in vain. This is the key. If there is no resurrection, all that we are doing in terms of preaching amounts to nothing. And then the next thing is your faith of being a child of God is not true. So if you don't believe that Christ rose from the grave, you are indirectly saying you are not a Christian. Because the faith you profess right now is tied to his resurrection. It's not tied to his birth. It's tied to his resurrection. And that is why I'm saying we seem to have a wrong priority. Why we can, through the gospel, talk about the birth of Jesus... The epistle doesn't discuss so much of the birth of Jesus. They discuss the resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand what I mean? Why? Because that's where life is. Life is in the resurrection. And so this ought to be our priority and our emphasis. What am I saying? Your faith. Now, you never had your faith when he was born. You had your faith when he rose. Amen? Are you following me? Your being called a Christian was because he rose from the grave, not because he was born in Bethlehem. You need to understand that. Now, am I devaluing his birth? No. But I want you to see the light of the priority that God has in his dealing. If you think his birth was so important in that dimension, why didn't he give you the date when he was born? So that you can celebrate the date. We celebrate Christmas. That's not exactly when Christ was born. We know that, isn't it? I told us here before. Because if you truly want to check when he was born, it doesn't have to be in December. It should be around October. Why did I believe that? Because December period will be too cold for shepherds to take their sheep to the field. Remember, the announcement came to the shepherd on the field. It's when it's born. So no shepherd will take their sheep to the field at that time. It will be too cold. Therefore, his bed couldn't have been in December. But we all agree to celebrate in December. But the point I'm raising is this. If God wanted you to value that that much, he will give you the date. Hallelujah. Are you following me? 
So here is the picture. I want you to see this. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith, the value of your faith, when something is vain, it amounts to no value. It amounts to no importance. No reward. Nothing. Emptiness. If Christ have not risen, your faith is vain. Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. Yeah, and we have found false witnesses of God. In other words, our testimony is by God through our preaching. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. So, the discussion about the resurrection of the dead. What's the next thing? For if the dead rise not, then it's not Christ raised. And verse 17. And if, I want you to see this, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. This is the importance of this resurrection thing we're talking about. By implication, help me Jesus. The resurrection is what procure your forgiveness. It's what made you a child of God. Hallelujah. Are you following me? By reason of the resurrection, you have all the liberty that you have. You are no longer a slave to sins. No man can count anything against you. There is no record of your sin anymore. Even past, present, or future. And somebody will say that's a hard thing. Yes. The reason because there is only one sacrifice. Sacrifice are meant to be used offered for the sins of the people. So there is one sacrifice and it's not repeating it. And because it's not repeating it, therefore any sin that is committed, even tomorrow, has been taken care of because it's not going to come back to repeat the sacrifice. That's why your, the sacrifice is yesterday, today, and forever. It's once and for all. And once you've done that, what happened? It sat down at the right hand of God. And I explained that fully to you the last time on the subject of the sitting priest. You remember that? Praise the living God. He sat down because he had no more work to do in relation to offering of sins. And so if you sin tomorrow, what happened? You plug the sin into that same blood that was up yesterday. It's making sense for you now. That is why your sin is forgiven yesterday, today, and forever. One sacrifice that takes care of all sin questions in eternity. That's what I'm saying. This one sacrifice is all you need. Anytime, any day. So, you fall into sin, what's the next thing you do? You just speak to him. The sacrifice works. It worked yesterday, it's working now, it's going to work tomorrow. Praise the living God. The key point I'm raising is this. This Easter is what procured this for you as a child of God. To have your liberty. So you must, while you are celebrating, have that consciousness within your spirit. That your sins are forgiven. And somebody say, how do you know? Because Jesus rose from the grave. That's all. 
How do you know your sins are forgiven? Because he rose. You don't debate that. You don't even have to have time for anybody to ask you that question. Who are you? I am a child of God. My sins are forgiven. How do you know? Jesus rose from the grave. Is it making sense? You don't have any explanation to give. This is just all you need to tell anybody that your sins are forgiven. If Jesus is not risen from the grave, then your sins are not be forgiven. But because he's risen from the grave, your sins are what? They are forgiven. Are you following what I'm saying? So if anybody asks you a question, how do you know your sins are forgiven? Because I know Jesus rose from the grave. Praise the living God. So you have to have the consciousness of a free man. The liberty you should exercise in Christ. That's from the basis of your conviction, from the basis of your belief, from the basis of who you really are as a child of God. The resurrection is what brought you to the place of sonship in God. I'm trying to give you the value of that which you call Easter. You're being called a child of God today because Jesus rose from the grave. So in celebrating Easter, you're actually trying to say thank you God for making me a child of God or your son. Through the resurrection of your son. Amen. Praise God. You look so cold. Maybe I should give you the story how it all started. That's what you want to hear. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so, we find that this prayer gave us a clear definition and the purposes of resurrection of Christ, which we are celebrating. You just watch the clips now. I went, push him, all of those things, spat on him, slapped him, you know, pierce him, and all of that, put the nails, all of that. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. All of that which you're seeing are really to make you know what happened. But you don't need to go there to be able to believe it. That is why it's a work of faith. Even though you were not there when it happened, you just have the conviction it happened. And the power of whatever happens there translates into your life as the son of God. You agree and you believe that you are son of God. Why? Because you believe that he rose from the grave. And release his spirit. The key point again I want you to understand is that give me John 3 verse uh, number 6. We say that often and again in this place. How do you, how do you get born again? How are you born again? I need to explain that again to you and again and again. You were not born again before Jesus went to the cross. Even the disciples were not born again before Jesus went to the cross. You want to understand that. Hallelujah. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I can remove that spirit and put it Holy Spirit. That which is born of the Holy Spirit is your spirit. Proverbs 20, 27. You need to understand this. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of man, hallelujah, which means your human spirit which is the small letter, go back to John 3, 6. The small letter is your human spirit, which is the candle of the Lord. And everybody has a candle, as I keep always explaining. Even the man in the street has a candle. He got a spirit right within him or her. But the point is this. The Holy Spirit, which is the capital spirit you find here, have not ignited that human spirit. So the man is in darkness, even though he has a spirit. You see, if I tell you what it is, your human spirit is a candle of God. Until the Holy Spirit comes into a human spirit, you can't see as God sees. That's what it means to be born again. So, but know what happened. 
this never happened until the Holy Spirit was released. That's why I'm saying even the disciples that were with Jesus, they were not born again. Are you following what I'm saying? Because the Holy Spirit came only after what? Resurrection. So though they followed him, though they accompanied him, before he went to the cross, they were not born again. They were only born again when the Holy Ghost came down in the upper place. While they were in the upper room. Their human spirit received the light of the spirit. All the miracles they performed was only when Jesus asked them to go and perform miracles. He was empowering them. It's like what happened to Samson. The Bible says when the spirit comes upon him, he will do miracles. He will do signs and wonders, as the case may be. As of when the disciples were with him, the spirit was coming from the outside to empower them, but the spirit was not resident. Are you following me? Praise the living God. Now you can understand why Jesus will speak to Matthew, I mean, uh, to Peter in the book of Matthew 16, when he said, Thou art the Son of God. He, you know, Peter said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. When he said, Who do men say that I am? And God said, Flesh and blood, I have not revealed this to you, but, but, but by my Father. So it was an instant revelation that came to him. His spirit just got opened at that instant. God gave him that understanding. He could say that. But after that, he dropped from that realm and became flesh. And so when Peter and Jesus said, I'm going to the Jerusalem, he said, you can't go there. Begin to rebuke him. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. What is that supposed to mean? Two ways. You're speaking from the realm of flesh, not the realm of spirit. And number two, you're trying to discourage me from going to accomplish what God has given to me. So get behind me, Satan. Anything that tries to stop you from performing the will of God is Satan. Are you there with me? Anything that would suggest to you not to carry out the will and the purposes of God for your life is Satan. So your human flesh is Satan, in quotes. If he's trying to stop you from doing what you're supposed to do, if he's trying to stop you from going to fulfill God's will for your life, that is satanic. Now what am I trying to say? When the Holy Ghost came, they could see, they could understand. And Jesus rightly told them in John 16, when the spirit of truth has come, it will bring to your remembrance the things that I'm not telling you. Hallelujah. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will now come into their spirit, become the light which is the candle of the Lord. Now I am saying, all this thing never happened at the birth of Jesus. They happened at the resurrection of Jesus. Is anybody getting my point now? This is when you were born again. This is where your real life is. This is where your true sonship comes in. Why? You have the Holy Spirit. But that is only possible because Jesus rose from the grave. Praise the living God. So you begin to see the importance of Easter. You begin to see that that which is called Christianity was only possible and only possible even now because of resurrection. Without resurrection, no Christianity. Without resurrection, no sonship. Without resurrection, no gift of the Spirit. Somebody said, but, okay, so, what, what was the value? L let, me re let me read something to you. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 10. Hallelujah. Romans 5, verse number 10. For if we were enemies, what is that supposed to mean? If we were enemies, praise the Lord. Thank you. 
and uh, he reconciled us to himself. I want you to look at the scripture. That is to say, before Jesus came, before Jesus died, before he rose, we were enemies of God. By reason of the fact that we have a relationship with Adam. If we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Listen to that. This one passage summarizes what I'm saying. The death reconciled you. Okay, don't quarrel anymore. Do you understand that? The cross says, Hey God, come this way. Hey Amen. come this way. I am on the center. I came to reconcile you. It's like a judge. It's like, I mean, I don't know what description to put it. But he came to mediate. He was a mediator. Huh? Hey, are you with me? He was a mediator. He came to mediate. And so, God agreed with the mediation. And part of that mediation process is that I will die for them. Because it's like God was saying, okay, now that you're saying we should reconcile, what about all that he has done? Because the law says if he has to live the life he was living before, he must pay the price for it. And the mediator said, okay, no problem. I will pay the price. How are you going to pay the price? I'm going to the cross. Amen? On his behalf. All the penalty of what he had been doing before that he was supposed to pay the price for the sins he ever committed. I'm going to pay the price because I've taken flesh as his own senior brother. And so we have what we call the law of kinsman redeemer. Only the person who is related to you can redeem you. This is why angels cannot procure your redemption. Because they don't have the same relationship with you. But Jesus could relate to you because he took on flesh as the son of Abraham. Are you with me? Good. So it's your, it's your senior brother. And because your senior brother, by law, is qualified to pay the price of what you are owing. This is a mystery. So therefore, he paid the price. He told God, I want you to reconcile with my brother. And he said, but no, he had done so much. I'll pay the price. And God said, okay, you are qualified to pay the price because you are his senior brother. Are you following the story? This is what you are seeing here. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to go by the death word of his son. And then he prepared a table for us. What the table is supposed to speak for? Reconciliation. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? And so the next thing is, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by what? His life. So we are not saved at the point of reconciliation. We are saved at the point of his life coming to our lives. Hallelujah. And what was his life? The life is the Holy Spirit. The life never come until the day of Pentecost. That is why I keep emphasizing to you that all the three and a half years that they lived with all the disciples that walked with him from the age of 12, they were not saved. And that may be surprising. Hallelujah. In fact, I told you on the, first, the, the, the beginning of this section, I mean on, on Friday, that the disciples, though they were walking with him, they never truly believed who he was. How many of you remember that? You remember that? John chapter 2? Very good. They never believed who he was until he performed the miracles. The Bible now says, and now they believe. Hallelujah. Why would they not believe? Because as at that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given. 
So there was no way. Did you get that, Kinsley? There was no way they could believe him. They were just walking with him. Like one of the camps of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, they have a leader, they formed their own camp, and they were just walking like that. Anytime he wanted them to perform a miracle, he would send them. The book of Luke, as them go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. You know, they came back and they said, oh, the devil was subject unto us. He said, rejoice now that the devil is subject unto you, but rejoice that your name is written where? In heaven. You're becoming part of God's kingdom. Amen? That's what you give your joy. So the miracle is not the main thing. The main thing that makes you to rejoice is that you are a child of God. And how did that happen? It only happened by reason of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you are not a child of God. Though you have the Spirit, because God is the Father of all flesh and all spirits. But your spirit can still be in darkness. Hallelujah. Amen. And that is why the spirit is what motivates you to do what you're supposed to be doing. That brings forth praise and glory to God. He said, sometimes we don't understand. The life we live is controlled by spirit. Daily life you live. Help me here. Every life you live is controlled by a spirit. Let me explain this to you. I'm not saying demons, in quotes, but listen to this. Have you watched people driving on the road? My wife used to make such suggestions or observations. I don't like the way this man drives. I don't like the way you are driving. You understand that? Come on, are you following what I'm saying now? Right. Somebody can drive recklessly and say, I don't like that man's spirit. He has a bad spirit. Look at the way he's driving. What spirit are you relating to? The driving spirit. Something made him to perform and the steering the way he performed. And you are saying, I don't like his spirit. Come on, are you following what I'm saying here? So every action has a spirit that controls it. That relates to what you're doing. Praise the Lord. I told you here some time ago. For those of us in the local market, not shopping mall, not shop right. But if you go to the market to buy fish or to buy oil, do you know how they behave? You may not know. You know, women, you know. You know how they behave. If they finish selling the oil, they'll clean the oil for you and they'll rub themselves with their hands. It's their spirit. It's the spirit of the trade. They don't see the stain to be anything. It's part of them. You will not want them to use your hand to rub you. But they feel very comfortable to rub themselves with their hands. Are you following what I'm saying here? It's the spirit. Travel with somebody who works at the bank. What do you see? The attitude of the banker is different from the man that pushes truck on the road. The spirit of the banking experience enables him to drive in a manner that differentiates him. The man that pushes truck or wheelbarrow on the road will not have time to think of putting on a tie because he's going to walk. But they are all walking. But both of them have this different spirit based on their profession. So every profession has a spirit that determines your conduct. Are you following me? And this is why when you are born again, you have another spirit. That now determines what? Your conduct. So then the scripture now says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. So once you are born again, you have another spirit that determines your conduct on a daily basis. And that conduct must reflect three major things. The righteousness of God. The peace of God. And the joy of God. Your new conduct in the kingdom must exhibit, reflect these three basic principles. 
righteousness of God, the peace of God, and the joy of God. Romans 14, 17. Remember that. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. That means the joy you exhibit comes from the Holy Ghost. The peace you give towards one another comes from the Holy Ghost. The righteousness that you're talking about is the righteousness of Christ, which comes from the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians 1, 30 tells us that Christ remained unto us what? Righteousness. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So what am I saying? Resurrection brings you into the place of sonship. And because you are a son, your conduct is modified, in quote, or directed or controlled by what? By the Holy Spirit. The principle by which you are born again. And that's come from the resurrection. And that is what you call Easter. Now, if that being the case, this is the point I'm bringing. It doesn't have to be a yearly activity. Come on here. Your, your conduct is not what you reserve for Easter period. Your conduct is a yearly and daily activity. It's yearly, it's daily, it's hourly, it's minute-wise. Praise the Lord. Like I mentioned to you now, somebody who goes to the market to sell, it's not something he's going to do once a year. The Spirit determines what he does and is doing it daily in the marketplace. Same thing with you. You were born again. Your celebration shouldn't be once in a year. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Because the Spirit now determines your conduct, your attitude, your speech, whatever thing you are doing. Now, I want you to understand this because it's not just cheap to be born again. We're talking about being born again and being controlled by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and be controlled in all realms by the Spirit of the living God. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be celebrating Easter. Okay, I mentioned this to you. Read with me. Amplify translation, Romans 6, verse number 4. Romans 6, verse number 4. Amplify. We are buried therefore with him by the baptism unto death, so that just as Christ was raised, thank you, Father, from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave what? In newness of life. Habitually. Hallelujah. Woo. Can you see what I'm saying here? It's a habit. The new life is a habit. Oh, come on. Are you following me? Habitually. The new life is a habit. It's not what you do once a year. No. It's your daily lifestyle. Hallelujah. You live and behave habitually. By the power of the spirit of resurrection. That's how to celebrate Easter. Are you still with me? <laughs> Praise God. So when we're talking about celebrating Easter, we're trying to say, oh God, how am I conducting my life? What is my conduct like? What is my spirit like? I mean, what is my daily attitude like? That's what you're saying. That's how to celebrate Easter. It's a habitual thing. It's a daily thing. It's not what you do once in a year. Every April. No. 
that is religion. If we must do it like we're doing now, it's just to remind ourselves and to give us self-examination. How has my conduct been? Okay, if you don't want to think about it on a, on a daily basis, think about it on a yearly basis. How did I live my life since last year, April to now? Maybe that will help you. Hallelujah. How did I conduct myself? How was my language? How was my habit? Right from last year, April to this year, April. How did I fare? That's your celebration. You just came to examine yourself if you've been the faith. Hallelujah. Come on, are we still together? And I share this with you, 1 Corinthians 5, yesterday. Let's look at it again. Amplified translation. 1 Corinthians 5, look at it from verse number 6. To save time. Uh, all right. Okay, now go to verse, go to verse 5 so that make it... Uh, the story here was that a brother slept with the father's concubine or the father's wife. And so, Paul was writing to them on how to treat that brother. He said, you have to deliver the same of the man over to Satan for physical discipline <laughs> to destroy the carnal lust which prompted him to incense. And I asked a question yesterday. Is Satan completely bad? Nobody's going to answer this now. You always try to kill Satan all the time in your prayers. But here Paul is using Satan for something good. Did you see it? No, I didn't write this. Did you see it? You are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline. Why is it so? You see, you have two hands. God has two hands. The right hand of God is a place of his power. The left hand of God is a place of chastisement and discipline. And God is too holy to do something. So you will allow another instrument that can do that to do it for him. You may not agree with me, but that's the way it is. That is why in Jeremiah 25, you find that God had to take Nebuchadnezzar, who was not a believer, and he called him his servant. That means Nebuchadnezzar had a function to perform as far as his own ministry was concerned. To take the children of Israel to captivity for 70 years, he permitted it because then Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. Sometimes when the devil begins to deal with you, don't try to cast him out because you may not be able to do so. He has to accomplish the assignment that God is giving to him at that moment. Okay, let's move on. Hallelujah. But does it make sense to you? All right. To destroy canon lust, which prompted him to incense, that this spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Did you get that? <laughs> He's doing a good job. All right, look at the next thing. Verse 6. About the condition of your church, your boasting is not good indeed. It is most unseemly and entirely out of place. Do you not know that just a little living with ferment with the whole lump of dove, with ferment will destroy the whole lump of the dove, the bread, the yeast. Is that okay? A little living, living in the whole lump. That's what the Bible says. Verse number 7 is the key. 
Purge, clean out the old living that you may be fresh, new, dove, sealed, uncontaminated as you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb had been sacrificed for us. King James said, sacrificed for us. Our Passover lamb had been sacrificed. And I want you to get this point. Now remember, the Passover equals your Easter. To the Jews, it's Passover. To the Christian, it's Easter. Is that okay? So he's trying to make them understand this is the implication of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now look at the next thing. Verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What's the feast? Easter celebration. Passover celebration. Hallelujah. Not with old living. What is the old living? Living of malice. Of vice, wickedness. But with the unliving labor or bread of what? Purity, nobility, honor, and sincerity, and unadulterated truth. This is how you celebrate your festival. Are you following me? This is how you celebrate that which is called the feast of Passover, which is equal to Pentecost. I mean, uh, 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 the, the Passover that we are celebrating. The feast of Easter. This is how you celebrate it. If you still have grudges in your heart, if you still have malice in your heart, you are not celebrating the feast. You are just being religious. That's why I told you before that the celebration is a habitual thing. So your habit is what tells you whether you are actually celebrating or not. What is your conduct like? What's your relationship like with people? With your husband, with your wife? Are you living in truth? Are you living in sincerity? Is that thing which you are doing noble? Hallelujah. Praise God. Go with me to Philippians 4 verse number 8. Let me show you some of the things that are supposed to be going through your mind that causes you to truly walk in the realm of celebrating that which is called. All right. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good reports, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is how you celebrate. Anything you're doing, how pure is it? Hallelujah. How just is that conduct that you're carrying out? How lovely is there love in it? Amen? How pure is your motive in doing what you want to do? This is your celebration. Hallelujah. Are you following me? I want to repeat to you. First of Easter is a regular daily habit and not once a year. No. That is religion. We must take advantage of the power that is in Christ. To be able to live out this life. For the scripture says. I can do all things through Christ that does what? Strengthens me. Look at this catalog of lifestyle that God wants you to live out. In your daily habitual habit. Your daily habitual life conduct. This is what he wants you to live. This is how I want you to exercise the power of Easter. And not just carrying pound fronts on Fridays and going to the forest. You, you understand that? 
So we're looking for him in Galilee. We did that before. You remember that? But we do all of those things, come back on a Sunday. On a Monday, we are different people. Quarreling, backbiting, hating, unforgiving. I don't know if you are following that. That's why it is religion. But if you truly have come to the place of this power of his resurrection, which makes us sons of God, this is your conduct. And it's a regular daily habit. Your celebration is regular. Your celebration is not once in a lifetime, neither is it once in a year. No, that is religion. But we're talking of the truth and the power of the resurrection of Christ. It means a transformed life. It means a transformed human being. Finally, go with me to Revelation 12. Let's take this. Hallelujah. Yeah, recently I shared a post on Facebook and it said, Long sermon and putting people in captivity, like taking them hostage, is very thin, thin line. So when someone is very long sometimes, it's like taking people hostage. They are tired, but they can't go anywhere. Hallelujah. So I don't want to take you hostage. All right, so go with me. Massive translation, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Your attitude, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm looking at message translation. Hallelujah. This is what I enjoy so much about this passage. I don't know if you love, I love this passage. Look at what it says. This is exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what resurrection life is all about. This is what Easter is all about. Look at what it says. So here is what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Everybody, I mean, help me say ordinary life. Say it loud again. Your ordinary life. Not some spiritual thing. Not some spooky things. Not some wild things in the realm of spirit. Not some deep things, you know. Sometimes say, oh, the message is deep. No, you don't have to be deep. It should be ordinary life. Take it. And what is that supposed to mean? You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to walk. You're walking around life. And pleasing before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. What did he do for you? He gave his life for you. What can you do for him? You offer yourself, your daily life unto him to influence you. You're sleeping. You're eating. Pleasing before God. This is your celebration. Just check your life. Do you think the spirit is involved in what you do? Do you think you're really offering yourself unto God as a living sacrifice? Have you really come to the place where your life has been transformed because of the power of his resurrection? Your sleeping is important to God. Your eating is important to God. How do you eat? People will tell you, sometimes they tell you when you eat, don't watch TV. Natural man knows what to tell you when you are eating. How do you conduct your life is what I'm saying. How do you relate to people is what I'm saying. That is how you celebrate Easter. Not some stories and all of those things. And then you finish, you wait for another year of April. Oh, Easter resurrection. How do you live your life? At home. How do you live your life? 
Do you spend time the food you eaten? Do you spend time to prepare the food? Or do you just allow it just the way it should be? Huh? Praise the living God. Are you following me? Somebody said, well, every good food has good food. If you are a good cook, no matter what you have, you can still have enough nourishment in that food. Look, ordinary vegetables, well prepared, huh? can give you enough, enough vitamins, enough substance in your life as compared to when you eat a whole chicken. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you take time to prepare the food you're preparing? That's the main thing. God is interested. Somebody said, David, what do you mean? Oh, you think God doesn't care. Why do you think he gave all the kind of animals to eat and there was not to eat in the, Levitic, the book of Leviticus? Why do you think he said that? Don't eat pork. Don't eat animals that does not chew the cord. Why do you think God gave you all of those things? We're just wasting his time, right? Praise the living God. Hallelujah. He told us in the book of Revelation, the fruit of the leaves of the tree shall be for the healing of the nation. Leaves, I know. That's speaking about Christ. That's speaking about the word of God, yes. But in the natural, don't you have healing from leaves? You think God is not, I mean, bothered about what you eat? He cares. I am saying your celebration is your daily living. It's a habitual lifestyle. It's your new life. It's the way you conduct yourself. It's the way you relate. It's the way you talk. It's the way you reason. It's the way you conduct yourself when you offend people or people offend you. It's the way you conduct yourself. That is the way you celebrate Easter. I expect you to be better people after this meeting. I expect you to be transformed after this meeting. I expect you to have a higher life after this meeting. Not higher life in terms of the kind of miracles you perform. I have no problem with miracles. You know I believe in miracles. But that's not my concern. Miracles? No. Does it bring transformation? It doesn't. If it brings transformation, then the children of Israel wouldn't have been asking of telling God they would have preferred to remain in Egypt. Look at all the miracles he performed. He did everything for them. But yet, they could not enter because of what? Unbelief. So it's not about miracles. It's about knowing. It's about understanding. And yesterday, something was popping through my heart. I was thinking again and again and again. The difference between faith and knowledge. I come to conclude within myself what you know you don't have faith for. It's what you don't know that you have to believe faith for. Am I correct? So knowledge and faith. And that may be dangerous to the average believer. But that's the simple truth. What you know, what you already have, you don't need to have faith for it. That's why true knowledge and truth sets you free. Amen? You know, some, somebody wrote something recently and he said, he discovered that when African Christians go overseas, they don't pray the way they pray when they're at home here. But is that correct or not? Very accurate. Why? Because most of the things they are praying for here, they are readily available over there. You're praying for light, they have light. Good water, they have it. Food is readily available. Mosquitoes are not eating you, so we are not praying against fever. So, I mean, you understand that? Your prayer pattern changes because the atmosphere. Hallelujah! That's what I'm saying. Knowledge. That's a key thing. Get wisdom above that getting, get understanding. 
It didn't say get fit. Hallelujah. Are you, have you wondered? Help me. I need to stop anyway. But have you wondered why Solomon was not listed among those heroes of faith? Have you wondered? He doesn't need faith for anything. He wants to build a temple. Everything he needed to build the temple, the Father had provided. So what did he need faith for? Come on. Are you following what I'm saying now? He doesn't need faith for anything. Temple the father want to build. Father, God said, oh, your hand full of blood. Let your son do it. Okay, fine. Solomon grew up, saw everything heaped up. All the materials for the building, they're already there. What does he need faith for? He doesn't need faith for anything. And God told him, I'm going to make sure there is no enemy around you. You are not going to fight any war. Solomon fought, fought no single war. What does he need faith for? Nothing. Faith is substance of things so far, the evidence of things not seen. But this one, he has seen it, so does he need faith? <laughs> Praise God. Are you following me? Knowledge makes you walk in a stronger dimension. And I gave you this story some time ago. I repeat it now, and I close. If only I've helped you enough. A few years ago, I was to leave for South Africa. I was in Lagos, in my friend's house, Pastor Patrick. At about 1 a.m., I was thinking, because I had only $10 in my wallet. And I was like, hey, how am I traveling all the way to South Africa? I don't have money in my wallet. How am I going to cope? Just $10. Amen? And at about 1 a.m., the Lord woke me up and asked me a question. How does God live? And then I kept quiet. He said, does he live by faith or by knowledge? I say, at least by knowledge. And the voice sees. And the spirit begins to interpret to me. God knows the end from the beginning, isn't it? Very good. So God knows that even this trip you are going to, there's going to be success. It is not what you're thinking about that will be the issue. But the point now is this. If you are my child, you should live by knowledge and not by faith of thinking of, oh, am I going to do? Or being worried you should live understanding that even as you are going, I am the one sending you, I will make provisions for you. Hallelujah. Did you understand what I'm saying here? And I can tell you that trip was wonderful when I traveled to South Africa. Man, bless me. And one of the shocking things, like I told you, when the guy was to take me to the airport, I first gave him the $10. You change it for me. In uh, South Africa, Ryan, so I'll use that for my offering. And guess what? By the road, about 5 a.m., because my flight was about 6, heading to the airport, police stopped us on the road. And this guy shouted, hey, pastor, we are gone. I said, what is that? So I forgot my driver's license. Ah, ah, now remember, even the money you gave to me is in my Bible. That means even the $10 I was depending on, he left it at home. Hallelujah. God made sure I was not going to depend on anything. Praise the Lord. And the police came and said, oh, come on, where are you going to? Let's drive out. Don't you have anything? And the spirit told me, tell them you are my son. I walked to the booth and he said, what do you have here? I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm going to preach. I'm a son of God. He slowly took him into the airport. He looked at me again. He said, how can I believe that? We have some magazine. We printed. I brought one. He looked at it. He said, okay, you're truly a pastor. Okay, you, you're going to go, but you pray for me. And I look at it. What do you want me to pray for? Now, he said, pray for me that I should be able to arrest more thieves. Because that will give him his promotion. 
Then I said, no, I'm going to pray that there should be no stealing anymore. And then we prayed and we started laughing. And I left. I don't know if you follow what I'm trying to say. You see, when you know something, you don't need faith for it. Hallelujah. So conduct your life knowing what Easter is. That's what I'm trying to say. Knowing what you are supposed to be doing, who you are, how you are supposed to be living your life. Know it. And more of his life will keep coming to you. Praise the living God. Happy Easter celebration. Come on, stand up somebody. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.